Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Daily Daf Differently. Jeremy Kalmanowski learning with you today, tractate Yoma, page Yudhet. And if the last few pages have not been super interesting, I'm sure today will be terrifically interesting, both a combination of, uh, of, of great ethical sharpness and a little bit of perhaps hypocrisy as well. On the front side of the page, uh, we learn in the Mishnah, in the, more or less in the middle of the page, or about a third of the way down, it says, Masrulo zikenim mizikne beitin. The Kohen Gadol got some tutors in the run-up to Yom Kippur, and the Korim Lufanav b'seder ayom, and the sages would read to him out of the Bible uh, the proper procedures for Yom Kippurim, the Omrim lo, and they would say to him, Ishi Kohen Gadol, uh, our, you know, Mr. Kohen Gadol, Read it yourself, Shema Shapachta. Perhaps you've forgotten. O Shema Lola Madita. Maybe you never learned this. Huh? The Kohen Gadol never learned the basic procedure for Yom Kippur? What can possibly be going on here? Uh, the Gemara goes on and says, Bishlama Shema Shapach Lechayai. Maybe he forgot. Okay, these things do happen. People people forget. Ela Shema Lola Mad? What, what do you mean that he never learned? How could such a person ever become Kohen Gadol? It is taught in the Brighton that the Kohen Gadol, the Kohen is called Kohen Gadol Me'echav, the most estimable of the Kohanim. He should be the most beautiful, the strongest, the wisest, and the richest of all the Kohanim. And in fact, if the other Kohanim, if, if he is not, in fact, rich, the other Kohanim, if he has all these other categories, should should give him their money so that he will fulfill all the categories. How can it be that there might be a Kohen Gadol who never learned? The Gemara goes on and suggests that in the Second Temple time, this, this, uh, this, this estimable job was to be had for the bribing. Kanda Mikdash Rishon, it's in the First Temple, before it was destroyed in 586 by Nebuchadnezzar, that people earned that position by their own, you know, by meritocracy, by they were in fact the best candidate. Kan Mikdash Sheni, but in the second temple after it was rebuilt, uh, that was it was it was to be had for the bribing. The Amar Rabbi Asi, and Rabbi Asi records the following uh, 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 tradition: Tarkava de dinare ayla le. Marta Batbaitus Leyanai Malka, uh, Marta Batbaitus, who is considered the, the, the uh, in, in legend, the wealthy woman, she gave a whole tarkava of dinarim, go figure how much a tarkava is, it's a large amount of dinarim, to King Yanai, al deukmele Yehoshua ben Gamla bekohane rabrave, so that he would become, Yehoshua ben Gamla would become the high priest, incidentally, over in Tractate Yivamot, in the Mishnah, it is described that uh, all of this, well, it is described that the Yoshua ben Gamla was her husband, 
and it is in fact described that even though she's a widow, he betrothed her, he became Cohen, and, and, and Cohen Gadol is not allowed to marry a widow, he betrothed her without full marriage, then became the Cohen Gadol, and then fully married her. It was a whole, a whole uh, complicated scenario there, called Tachbula. This strikes me as a, a really interesting uh, story with, with uh, a sharp moral lens. The sages are not being super-duper pious here with respect to looking back on the destroyed temple. They're recognizing that the temple was a place like any other place where rich people and politics take, you know, take precedence, that you can't always assume that if somebody's the Kohen Gadol, it's because of their great piety, maybe they were just slick or maneuvery, or maybe they pulled it out. On the second side of the page, we learn, uh, we, we've been talking about the fact that the Kohen Gadol, it's important that he not have a seminal emission before the holiday starts. That would leave him ritually impure for Yom Kippur. And our page goes on and gives us all kinds of uh, folk folk uh, traditions about what, what foods are likely to give one a nocturnal emission or something like that. And, and then it goes on and says a remarkable and famous story. Uh, it doesn't explicitly say this has to do with preventing nocturnal emissions, although it would seem to be the likely likely uh, likely uh, uh, context for the story. It states that Rav ki makla ledarshish machriz man havyali yoma. Rav, when he would arrive at the town called Darshish, would stand up and say, "Who will have me for the day?" That is to say, who will contract with me? It would appear to mean a temporary marriage. Who will be my wife? That is to say, presumably, have sex with him that night. To be uh, a one-day wife, and Rav Nachman would do the same at a place called Shachansiv, or something like that. Uh, but it's taught, Hatanya, Rabbi Eliezer bar Yaakov, Amar, Lo Isa Adam, Isha b'medina zo, Vayelech v'isa Isha b'medina acheret. How could they, these sages have done this with this temporary marriage when there is, in fact, this other teaching in the name of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, that people shouldn't, that men should not get married with one wife in one town and one wife in another town, lest they uh, end up having their children engage in inadvertent incest because they won't know their full parentage. The Gemara comes along and says, "No, not a worry. Sages are so famous that everybody, everybody will know whose kids are whose, and they won't, uh, and they won't uh, uh, get this. They won't get in this trouble." Then the Gemara goes on and raises a, another small theoretical question having to do with the laws of, uh, of menstrual purity and suggests that, well, maybe these two sages, these two great sages, Rav and Rav Nachman, didn't actually sleep with these women. They just, they just spent time alone together. Uh, that does not seem to be a great explanation, though, of course, because in context, the story seems to be about uh, the need to have appropriate sexual uh, release and outlet, so you don't have inappropriate sexual release and outlet. What's fascinating to me about this story is, without any apparent condemnation, and that's what I alluded to, perhaps a little bit of hypocrisy here, without any apparent condemnation, uh, Rav and Rav Nachman are portrayed as engaging in somewhere between uh, loose morals slash prostitution uh, when it suited them. The modern reader has to has to read the story and, and wonder what is going through the mind of the ancient writer in recording 
that these sages would be willing to have very temporary relationships. Now, incidentally, this is a, a fascinating historical matter. In Sasanian, uh, that is to say, the, those Persian kings who lived in Shushan, in Sasanian Persia, this was in fact a, uh, a common practice to have quote-unquote temporary marriages. And in early Islam, this was a major division between the Sunnis and the Shiites. The Sunnis forbade these kinds of temporary marriages, but evidently in early Shiite practice, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe more, more than early, uh, there were temporary marriages. It was just set for a certain amount of time. There was no formal divorce. So he could be my wife for one week, and, and she would be his wife for one week. However, uh, in Jewish sources beyond this passage, it appears once here and once in the Tractate Yivamot, uh, we do not have such a, such a loose relationship. In fact, Rav Sa'ad Gaon, who, by the way, lived in Baghdad at the very time that the Sunnis and Shiites were working these issues out, uh, he wrote in his commentary to the mitzvah of Thou shalt not commit adultery, that the first and, and least serious, still forbidden, but the, the, the least bad case of adultery is this kind of temporary marriage. And it would appear that he would have to have Rav Nachman and Rav in mind um, the Talmud does not appear to ask about the status of the experience of the women in these cases, but I think it's certainly fruitful for thought for us to imagine. Who are the women? Are they just out-and-out -out street prostitutes? Are they the estimable uh, the estimable daughters of important Jewish families? The Tosafot in medieval France imagined this was a way to get your daughters into the families of the sages. Uh, the Tosafot assumed that this is not really a temporary marriage but the first step to a permanent marriage, which seems to be quite interesting that the, that the Tosafot don't like the idea that there is a sexual relationship without a long-term relationship of emotional and financial care. That certainly seems appealing to me, and the Talmudic story seems less appealing to me. But uh, as a historical reader, you have to both read as a person today reads, you have to put your own concerns in, and as a historical reader, to think about what was going on in ancient Babylonia. Thanks for learning today's very interesting page with me, and I look forward to studying with you again tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.